Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today we are diving into the early 90s, late 80s with a film called Popcorn. This movie uh, hit the theaters, didn't make a huge splash. In fact, it uh, didn't really get get seen much at all, although I think it did uh, a little bit of business much, much later on on home video. It does seem to have a bit of a cult following, although, again, not a huge cult following. (laughs) Almost just a kind of under-the-radar movie that, I don't know, after watching it for the very first time, I'm not sure it deserves that under-the-radar status. I I wouldn't say it's a fantastic movie, but it does have a certain charm about it that I found compelling, really, despite its shortcomings. But this was the first time I'd ever seen it uh, in my life. Wow. How about you, Craig? Oh, no, I had seen it several times. I, I, I think I remember renting it when I was a kid and watching it with my cousins and stuff. And I feel like I have fond memories of it uh, and and watching it again. I mean, it, I've seen it since then, you know, in my adulthood, but it's been a long time and uh watching it again i i understand why i had fond memories of it i i think it's kind of fun you know it's no masterpiece but um i think that it's got a a really interesting premise and there's some cool stuff going on here it's kind of an homage to old school b-movie horror i i like it I like the central plot line, but I, I think that what was most fun for me uh, are all of the movies within the movie. Uh, those uh, are are really fun, and I'm sure we'll talk about them a lot. Yeah, they're really well done. These these movies within the movie are the kind of movies that I used to watch a lot as a kid. My dad was a child of the 50s and early 60s, and so he was really big on these black and white B movies, you know, them and and attack of the Uh 50 foot woman and stuff like that. And and our video shelf at home was just full of this stuff. And so it was very accessible to me. It was the kind of thing that I grew up on, really had a passion for. And I still enjoy those kind of movies. They're, They're usually pretty silly and cheesy and the acting is bad. And all of that is really highlighted by this film. When this group of film students it's like a film club at the at an yeah. extension of the University of California, which is a surprisingly ragtag and small film club for the University of California. <laughs> but uh, they're kind of an interesting group of people. There's a guy in a wheelchair. There's a, a girl who's working on her script. Uh, she's kind of our central character here. Her name is Maggie Butler. And she is walking around with a handheld tape recorder all the time recording ideas for her script. She has a, a kind of boyfriend. Not really. He pops in and out. He's interested in her, but she seems to be dead focused on her screenplay. Anyway, it's just it's like a small group of people who decide that they're not going to get the funding that they need from the school to do what they want to do. And so their idea is to throw a crazy horror sci-fi marathon in one night at this local rundown theater that's going to be torn down in like three days. And so uh, they spruce it up and they do their show. And in the midst of all of this, there's a killer on the loose. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's that's it, you know. And there's kind of this central mystery thing going on. Maggie, who, gosh, I had her name written down, I thought. Jill Sholin. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I just read, because I just finished watching this movie, and so I was just doing some research, that she actually was not the original actress that was cast. The original actress that was cast was... 
another actress of the late 80s, early 90s, who I didn't immediately recognize when I looked at her picture, but when I looked at her filmography, she was the oldest sister in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yep. I guess they shot the vast majority of this movie with her, and then at the very last minute, they replaced her. And I didn't read anything about why. I, I have no idea. Uh, all I know is that this uh, new actress who came in said that she barely interacted with the cast at all because most of what she did were just like close-up reshoot shots. Yeah. What a shame, right? I know. <laughs> For her. For her, right. Yeah, I, I don't think that I would have noticed. Um, it, it seems pretty seamless. It doesn't feel cut and pasted together, even though it seems like maybe that's kind of the case. It might explain a little bit of the weirdness. Like, there's some scenes, you know, that it's like this theater's a madhouse of people coming in. It's just filled to the brim with folks in all this dress, you know, like they're they're dressed up like aliens or dressed up like, like whatever. It's in the lobby and in the theater, and people are in there and moving back and forth. But then there's scenes of the same event where there's absolutely nobody in the lobby but like three of these people yeah (laughs) and the front doors are locked and it's all quiet outside and then like two scenes later suddenly the lobby's chock full of people again and it's a mayhem i wonder if maybe some of that was uh was due to reshoots they just didn't bring back all the extras for for those those scenes maybe i don't know you know i i want to get back to what you were talking about because that was pretty awesome but i i just it starts out with kind of this mystery where Maggie is having these weird dreams. And that's how, well, the very first thing we see are these like strangely realistic face masks like floating in some sort of fluid and and that's that's it like it's totally out of context that's all we see and then we get into maggie's dream and she's having this weird surreal dream where there's like explosions and uh, a young girl in white like running and some creepy guy and like then his head is like on a table and there's this big dagger and there's fire and you hear a woman's voice calling the name Sarah and then Maggie wakes up and she dictates it into her little tape recorder apparently she's been having these dreams for a while we see her mother played by one of my favorites D Wallace, Wallace. D- yeah, yeah. We, I know that's why you picked this movie it, honest to god I had forgotten that she was in it uh-huh. I really didn't remember that she was right. in it and and when I saw that she was I was you know oh you were just blown away oh my god <laughs> D Wallace is in this I had no idea yeah. alright believe me don't believe me I don't care <laughs> but D Wallace I mean she's she plays a, a, a minor role in this movie but she looks amazing my yeah. god I don't know that I've movie. ever seen her look better but she looks fantastic but she is maggie's let's just say air quotes mom and uh, she gets this weird you know kind of phone call with somebody with a raspy voice you know i don't know i I think the first thing he says is like remember who the ninth circle of hell is reserved for i don't even know what that means but (laughs) whatever (laughs) Um, but she's getting these creepy calls maggie's having these dreams so you know, that's the initial setup kind of for the mystery. And then what you said, we meet this group of ragtag kids who are uh, aspiring filmmakers, and they need the funding, so they're going to set up this thing. It, what's so funny is to me, it, it's Toby's idea. Toby is played by Tom Villard, who is so recognizable to me. Yeah. He's this tall, kind of lanky guy. And he has this really interesting affect to the way that he talks that is so familiar to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, he must have been in a million things. 
and I looked at his page, and he was in quite a bit, but not really a lot that I remembered. I, frankly, I think that what I remembered him from was the one episode of The Golden Girls that he was in. <laughs> I, I love The Golden Girls. Yeah. Um, uh, well, he was in One one Crazy Summer. I think I, I used to watch that a lot on TV. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was in Grease, too, as well. And I don't know about yeah. you guys, but... My sisters and I, for some stupid reason, had Grease 2 on, like, never-ending repeat at our house. <laughs> oh, it's such a terrible movie. It is a terrible movie. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if you're like us and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you would totally recognize this guy. But it's his idea to do this uh, horror marathon, and they're going to show these old B-movies. Their gimmick is that all of these movies, when they were originally released, were released with some sort of gimmick. And so, like, uh, they're going to show Mosquito, which was filmed in Projecto Vision. Mm-hmm. And they're going to show The Stench, which was shot in Odoroscope. And they're going to show, like, the amazing adventures of the Electrical Man or something like that that was in, in Shockerama. Yeah. Yeah, Shockerama. And, uh, and, and so they, you know, they set up all these gags. And, and you talked about how, you know, everybody's in costume and stuff. I just, when, when it all started, when they get it all going, I just was thinking, oh my God, I want to go to this so bad. Yeah, I know. Like it looked like <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> well, and all of these things, all of these gimmicks for these movies, these are actual gimmicks that were used. Stolen directly from William Castle, who was a famous producer of these kinds of films. And uh, every single movie that he did, he had some gimmick like this to do. It would be something simple like, oh, we're selling insurance policies if you die of fright during the movie. Or, uh, you know, you have to sign a waiver. We're going to have a nurse on standby if you die of fright. But then he had these movies like um, The House on Haunted Hill, which is a great Vincent Price, great Vincent Price movie, actually, Uh that used Emergo technology. And it was very similar to this mosquito thing where... At a climactic point in the movie, an actual giant plastic skeleton would come come towards the audience on a string or whatever towards them. Shockarama again, he had a similar thing. I can't remember what he called Electro something, but it was it was a movie called The Tingler, and he wired up some seats in the theater to buzz during key moments of the movie. Somebody would be up there with a buzzer thing buzzing them. Every single one of these was actually done by him, so it's a neat nod to the past, and it's very realistic and appealing (laughs) that these guys could like dig up all of this old equipment and reuse it for this horror marathon and they do it um with the help of this guy who shows up who's this weird dude with a with a goatee older man and like top hat and cane and everything who comes in and says he was an old theater owner uh and he has all of this old equipment from his theater that he's gonna now what was he like a friend of one of them, or did he just show up mysteriously? Where did he come well, from? Well, no, I, I Toby knew him somehow. Oh. Toby Toby brought him in. Okay. Dr. Malcolm something, I don't know. Um, but it's Ray Walston. Uh, again, this, this whole movie is full of familiar faces, uh, especially if you were into horror uh, at the time. But even, you know... Some of these people were were mainstream, but Ray Walston, we have talked about before. He was in Galaxy of Terror. I always recognize him from the John Malkovich of Mice and Men. He played Candy in that. Uh, And Mm. he shows up just for a minute, really, to kind of explain the history of these old movies and these old movie houses. We had theaters in those days, not like these cine, omni, multi, whatchamaplex things today. 
with 29 screens the size of postage stamps. And we had fun. The ballyhoo, the giveaways, the bullshit. <laughs> I could tell you stories. The point is, we put the butts in the seats where they belong. <laughs> and they loved it. They are at the Dreamland Theater, which is supposedly being torn down in three weeks, which makes absolutely no sense to me because yeah. it's beautiful. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's this gorgeous old movie house that doesn't seem to have anything wrong with it. I can't imagine why they're tearing it down. Dr. Malcolm does his spiel and tells them about all the history and stuff. Then there's a music montage where uh. they do all of their cleaning and decorating. And the first thing they do is the seats are all covered in like these huge like paint drop cloths and they they pull them off to reveal these pristine theater seats like <laughs> it's it's just this amazing theater that they are able to use they they decorate it and it's just everything is so cool the most amazing decorations and set pieces and props and effects and and all kinds of things the theater just looks fantastic when they are done and they've all got these great costumes amazing costumes mm-hmm. and they're all in character and they made the costumes by the way like they they did like uh like plaster casts of their faces and, right. and formed them i mean it's just the all, all within i guess a couple days i don't know <laughs> right i mean i mean they made the, the montage makes it seem like they did it all in like one day yeah all, all within the course of one song they basically right. all <laughs> <laughs> oh, but seriously you know then there's a scene before the festival actually begins oh they find in in the prop trunk this movie reel and the tin the case that it's in says caution do not open or something like that um but of course they open it mm-hmm. and they watch in it watch it and it's this weird surreal like messed up art house kind of film the possessor well it turns out to be many of the same images that maggie was seeing in her dream Uh, it's a guy he looks like jesus he's in white robes and he's uh eventually like his head like you said is on a platter on a there's some close-ups on his eyes and at one point in the film there is like a like a slab and some candelabra and it looks like kind of a sacrifice scene where he is pulling out a big wavy dagger and is about to uh, stab a woman who's laid out on this thing and there's some sounds and the, the the possessor, the possessor, some talking and things like that happening in there. And it weirds her out. Everybody else thinks it's kind of silly. And then uh, it turns out that the their advisor the next day says, oh, yeah, yeah, this must be the long lost footage from this well-known kind of mythical film called The Possessor. Uh, and there was this guy. Uh, And his name was... uh, Lanyard Gates. Lanyard Gates, who was this crazy filmmaker. And he put together this film and was showing it uh, to some people and was enacting out at the same time the last scene from the film and having it shot. And he was actually going to kill somebody during this, but something went horribly wrong and the whole theater burned down, knocked over a candelabra or something. The whole theater ends up burning down uh, and then they thought that the this film had been lost forever, but it, of course it turned out in his trunk. Yeah. 
I, I just thought it was funny, like the guy, uh, Mr. Davis, their advisor or whatever, tells them that this guy, Lanyard Gates, was uh, some sort of like cult film guru, and he <laughs> led this group that used to drop acid and then make films. <laughs> yeah. It's just- which, kind of funny. <laughs> well, we talked about that earlier. I, well, no, it was, I guess I guess I guess earlier we were talking about that guy who played the old man in Poltergeist Two. Yeah. they used to drop acid and do plays, not films. Right, but but similar. Yeah, and somehow I feel like he made the first part of the film, and some people saw it and ridiculed him for it, and like the acting out of the final act was like his revenge or something. Yeah. I don't know. They, it's, he it's didn't like weird. to be laughed at. But whatever, yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, Maggie's dream, and she she faints because it's so shocking to her. And the club decides, as a group, unanimously, that it's too morbid to. Sh- I mean, it's somebody suggests maybe we should show it, and and they say no, it's it's too morbid. You know, nobody want wants to watch a movie where some guy actually murdered his family and people actually died, so they they shelve it. They decide they're not going to do it. But Maggie asks her mom about it. And uh, her mom, obviously, you know, <laughs> she knows. She's super course, cagey. Like, <laughs> you, yeah. Have you ever heard of Lanyard Gates? What? <gasps> what? No. <Who>? what? <laughs> no. <laughs> never in my Lan- life. Lanyard who? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I, I've never heard of him. By the way, I need you to drop out of this festival yeah. right now. <laughs> but the the girl, Maggie's like, you know, no, I can't. I'm too much in it. And the mom's like, okay, well, I guess I have to trust that you're, you know, big girl now. You can take care of yourself. But then after Maggie goes to bed, um, Suzanne, the mom, gets uh, another call and it's that creepy voice again. It says, I'm the possessor. I want her. And, you know, Suzanne's like, no. <laughs> but he says, well, if you want to stop me, I'm at the theater. You can come and you can bring your little gun like you did last time or whatever. Okay. So Suzanne, yeah. So Suzanne goes off to the theater and, you know, here's Dee Wallace with her little purse gun, you know, like stalking around. And this is really kind of the only part of the movie that I have a serious issue with because she shows up, all the lights on the outside on the marquee pop on. Okay, fine. But then all of the letters in the marquee shoot off at her. Mm -hmm. The marquee just magically changes to the possessor. A a ticket automatically pops out of the ticket dispenser and she takes it and then the door automatically opens and she walks in. Now, ultimately, it turns out that this is just some crazy guy doing this. Mm -hmm. So... How did he do all that? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty incongruous. Yeah, they're really they're really playing a trick on you here. The filmmakers are trying to make the scene supernatural during this scene. And by the way, this scene is a great scene on its own. Yeah. You're right that it doesn't make sense with the continuity of the movie, but as a scene, it's really compelling and cool and it's well shot and it's well lit and it's suspenseful and it's got great camera angles and stuff. And you know, it's your typical she's an idiot walking right into this trap. Right. And there's there's the the movie showing on the screen and she stands there and watches it and all this stuff. Anyway, she ends up like disappearing essentially. Like we don't yeah, she... know we don't see her again until the end. Well, she hears 
like she hears somebody running around. Of course, it's all dark around her. She hears somebody running around, and then she sees somebody coming towards her, which, again, I don't really understand. Yeah. She sees somebody coming towards her, and she shoots them. And, like, she's calling him Lanyard, so we know that she knows who this guy is. And she shoots him, and he falls. But then she, like, backs up against a projection screen, and these big arms pop through the screen and pull her away. And then we don't see her again, like you said, until the end of the movie. I'm still not sure, like, was the, was the thing that she shot supposed to be, like, a rigged-up dummy or something? I don't know. Because it didn't look like it's it. It's all pretty nebulous. It's just as nebulous as the possessor showing up on right. the marquee miraculously, you know? Well, and talking to her. Like, yeah. which, again, if <laughs> when you know the end of the movie, it doesn't make any sense. But no. whatever. I mean, it's 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 a good spooky scene so yeah. fine whatever and then uh, Maggie wakes up in the morning and I was you know in my mind even though I've seen this before it's been so long I couldn't remember I'm thinking won't she think it's weird that her mom's not there in the morning but she wakes up and like breakfast is all prepared for her and there's yeah. a note from her mom that's like tonight's the night good luck uh-huh. so <laughs> alright <laughs> how, how did that happen I don't know yeah don't know. <laughs> well the movie has a very scream vibe to it a little bit oh yeah yeah like just the way it starts with her kind of a and and the pacing of the movie is a lot like the pacing of screamed as well i bet it's like um pink floyd right you know how if you play the wall no right like you play yeah. dark side of the moon dark side of the moon along <laughs> with the uh, wizard of oz i think if you played scream along with this movie and you started them at the same time it's like they hit the same beats yeah <laughs> it sure feels like it you know it's funny you know i hadn't made that connection and now that you say it y- yeah uh, they're very much uh, alike with the backstory and you know this killer out for what turns out to be revenge and And all these teenagers and they're all friends and then it turns out spoiler alert that one of their friends is actually the guy right right that leads us into the festival which we've already talked about but i i can't say enough you know like you say these people are in costumes we're not talking about like lazy throw a sheet over your head costumes (laughs) we're talking about like intricate like somebody took time to put these costumes together costumes one of my favorites was the guy who i don't know he kind of looks like a mad scientist but he has a a, an extra prosthetic head like growing out of his shoulder (laughs) and the head can vomit on command like that was awesome but with the nice (laughs) with the nice 80s touch of both him and the head wearing dark shades (laughs) yeah (laughs) like this movie it was like everybody who was coming to this thing like raided the warehouse down at paramount or something like they yeah you know they needed like another scene of of a break-in at uh, the props closet at 21st century fox or something like that yeah uh, to, to to explain how everybody got these wonderful gorgeous incredible costumes for this it's like this thing it's like comic-con for like uh, yeah 50s and 60s b movies like everybody <laughs> looks like they could have stepped out and uh, not everybody not everybody's in costume but a lot of them are and it looks great and all of the uh members of the club who are sponsoring this they're all in costume and playing roles um and it's so much fun you know when i was in college we did a screening of the rocky horror picture show uh mm. the theater department hosted one and and we all dressed up as the characters and played the parts and and whatnot and and that was really fun and that's the only you know similar experience that i have to this but that compared to this was totally low budget and lame like this is amazing (laughs) i i would buy my ticket for this 
today if it <laughs> if it were happening. It's so and true. they're showing these movies, and they've got this great clock that like is kind of a, a skeleton that's squeezing a, a heart, and blood drips out of the heart. And every time the clock screams, that means the next movie's about to begin. And they start showing these movies. And the first one that they show is uh, Mosquito. <laughs> these movies, they show us some fairly extensive footage from these movies. Yeah, And it's all original footage. Like, these aren't real movies. I mean, they all of them are inspired by actual movies from the 50s and 60s or at least I believe they are yep. but um, you know they sh- they shot these for this movie and they're so fun they are like they're so much fun they are because you know they're 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 satire but they're still they're, like these movies really to satire these movies doesn't take a lot right you know you just basically have to make a movie like that <laughs> and and you've got your satire and that's what these films do so it's just these are real earnest actors driving down country roads talking about mosquitoes and what in tarnations could have done this doc there's nary drop of blood left in any of my sheep. Feeds me, Skater. Wait a minute. Look at this large puncture wound in the back of her neck. A giant mosquito attacks the top of this uh, pickup truck, or was it a convertible? I don't know. It was a pickup truck because the mosquito grabs on... Well, and just like, you know, they do all the old school effects where, mm-hmm. you know, there's the shot of the people in the truck where obviously they're just in front of a screen and like somebody is off the side of the truck, like, you know, pushing a board underneath to make it, you know, yeah. shake to look like they're driving. And then it's a, a, a cut completely away from the truck to show the mosquito flying. So there's no like size perspective or anything. It's just mm-hmm. because the mosquito's so huge on the screen, we believe that it's a huge mosquito. And you can clearly see the ropes and like there's no realism to it at all. I mean, you know, it's it's clearly a prop on strings, but then they, you know, make a big noise on the top of the trucks and uh, bring the some legs down over the top so we know it's on the top and then they cut to the mosquito you know on the top of the truck but we don't see the actors anymore and it's just you know all these movie tricks that they did and and then the mosquito drills its i don't know sucker <laughs> like down <laughs> into the truck and into the farmer guy's head and like stinger craig it's called sucks all its blood out (laughs) mosquitoes don't sting todd they don't oh please what do they do then (laughs) i don't know (laughs) they're not bees oh there's a difference oh okay well whatever anyway but yeah i mean it's just it's yeah it was just so much and i'm not you know like you're not into these as like i am not well it's not that i'm not into them it's just that i've not had a lot of exposure like i've not sat down and watched them i appreciate them for what they are and in in small doses you know i've watched clips and and uh i'm also a big fan of uh mystery science theater 3000 Mm. they do these movies sometimes so i've seen them in that context but that was another part of why this was fun yeah because it's all happening in this festival atmosphere so the audience is very much interacting they're yelling at the screens they're riffing on it they're throwing popcorn and i don't know i mean it just seemed like a blast yeah you would want to be there 
You know, you wouldn't want to be the guy um, activating the mosquito. What he, I guess, is there, it's their advisor, right? Yeah. Who's the one operating the mosquito by a remote control and eventually swings it down towards the audience on this big wire that goes across the crowd. And it lights up and it's actually a really cool prop and it's it amazing. also has a big stinger. Yeah. And it, so it kind of swings in front of them. But then above him on the catwalks, even higher catwalks, you see a guy with another remote. And uh, he takes over, basically, and uh, turns the mosquito back around, and the mosquito flies up into the flies <laughs> to stab him. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty brutal little scene there where mm-hmm. he stabs him right through the chest and uh, kills him. And then you see from overhead this big burly figure with a hat on and a coat who drags him away, uh, drags the body away. Now, this this same figure showed up to Maggie in the beginning. Maggie was doing tickets in the ticket office. Yeah. There's a guy who came up and said, one, please, I'm really looking forward to seeing the possessor or something like that. And before yeah. she could look up... And he calls her Sarah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's important. He calls her Sarah. Uh, and then before she can look up, he disappears. And so while this whole festival is going on, now Maggie is sort of singularly focused on trying to find this guy because she thinks he might be... I guess she says she thinks he might be killing people, right? She thinks there's a killer on the loose. Yeah, well... Even though I don't think she has any evidence that this could go on. I don't know. She kind of figures things out really fast, or at least, like, she gets on the right trail really fast. Like, she's like, oh, my gosh, it must be Lanyard Gates. Oh, well, yeah, I guess it must be, if you say so. I mean, like, everybody thought he was dead, but apparently you saw one guy, and so it must be him. Well, (laughs) they take him all right. They take her a little too seriously. Yeah, she takes him. And he, like, the guy, I mean, we don't really get to see him in the beginning, but, like, when he goes to grab the ticket... His hands have burn scars. So, yeah. you know, supposedly this guy died in a fire. And it comes out later that they never actually found the body. So, sure, it could be him. But she just gets there really fast. Yeah. You know, I was also getting major, major shades of the Phantom of the Opera. I oh, mean, like, sure. that's basically kind of what the story is to a large extent. This mutilated guy kind of haunting this theater and seeking out you know his revenge or or whatever it is that he wants in this case you know in in phantom of the opera it's you know he's going for the girl for romantic purposes and this one it's not for romantic purposes but he's still going for the girl and very much a phantom of the opera vibe yeah that's right and i read i think some of the film a couple of the filmmakers the guys who directed this uh mark harrier is the guy that's credited for directing it but i guess that at some point he was let go and another guy named alan ormsby he ended up being uncredited but i guess he did a lot of the work on it and i don't remember which one it was but one of the or the other of them was either the writer of the or the director of a version of phantom of the opera starring robert england which i haven't seen yeah I, I think you might have it reversed. I thought it was Alan Ormsby who started out directing it, and then um, later on, Mark was brought on. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe and, that's why Ormsby's uncredited. Well, Orm, yeah. Ormsby, Ormsby was did write this, and he actually he's a good friend apparently of Bob Clark's. He w- yeah, we've talked about Bob Clark on here before. Oh and, yeah, and he worked very closely with Bob Clark on some of their earlier efforts, like you know their sort of no budget kind of bargain basement movies that they did uh, that led to bigger and bigger things like uh, i think the first one they worked on was children shouldn't play with dead things yep uh, mm-hmm. uh, and actually alan ormsby went on to write mulan 
as well. So, yeah. Uh, at least some of it, not the whole thing. Some of pieces it, Pieces right. of it. And so, uh, you know, he's he's not bad. I guess he just didn't cut the mustard. It's not really clear. Nothing that I read online says exactly why he was booted out of it. But I guess Bob Clark at some point had some hands in this. Like either huh. he was brought in to direct one of those sequences or there were some rumors that he came in and he directed portions of the movie himself when things were in trouble. It has a real storied history, and I didn't get to see it, but apparently on the DVD version of it, there's a whole featurette that people said goes into honest detail about what happened behind the scenes of this movie. I wish I wish I had been able to find it before we had this podcast, but I, I, sure. I couldn't find it. But yeah, it would be really interesting to know. Well, and, you know, after... Um, I, I agree, you know... It, it, I was getting ready to go on with the plot, but I do want to say I agree. You know, it does seem like there are lots of stories behind this movie that I just couldn't find the answers to. You know, replacing the lead actress so late into the movie, uh, replacing the director, and I have no idea if those two things coincided or had anything to do with one another. But uh, it would be nice to have some... So, listeners... If you know any of these answers, share them with us. We're genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. But uh, after uh, Mr. Davis gets killed, we see the killer make a Mr. Davis mask. Now, having watched this before, I, at this point, kind of felt like the movie gave us a major hint to who the killer was super early in the movie. Because when they're setting up for the uh, festival... I won't say who, just in case you don't want spoilers until we get to the end of the the podcast, but one of the characters is making these plaster masks Mm -hmm. in that setup scene. So if you're paying attention, you know who has the skills to make these masks. But anyway, so they, they make a mask of Mr. Davis. And then we get the next movie, which is Attack of the Amazing Electrified Man, which, you know, is very much... In the same vein as Mosquito, it's this crazy guy. It's 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 basically kind of the movie shocker. <laughs> yeah, although I felt like it had this weird kind of German expressionistic silent film vibe to it. It was a little like the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or like Metropolis and some of the... I mean, there was talking in it, uh-huh. but then there are points when, you know, there's just these odd set pieces and the guy is just walking and emoting and, and you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> you don't even know the movies I'm referencing. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I've heard of them. <laughs> it's a weird mix of this B-movie slash uh, German, yeah, postmodern filmmaking that, that goes even further back. So I, I thought it was it was the one of the more bizarre of the three movies that we saw in that it was hard for me to pinpoint exactly what kind of, what movie they were parodying there. Yes, and, and I... I do think that it's interesting that you say that because all of the movies could have been entirely similar and that would have been fine. But they do give them Mm. somewhat distinctive qualities. And if you're right that this one does have, you know, a German or whatever sort of influence, it makes sense then that the last movie, The Stench, is kind of a Asian horror film. (laughs) It's like an it's like an overdubbed uh, monster movie from right, Japan. Right, yeah. right, right. It, it's hilarious. <laughs> I wish we had seen more of that one. To be honest, I, that was the one I was the most interested in seeing more of, and that was the one we only saw a couple. Yeah, scenes from. it's true. This movie is 
build at least on IMDb. I don't know how it was marketed, but uh, it's built on IMDb as a horror comedy. And I can see that, though it's not, and I don't think that it was intended to be, a laugh-out-loud comedy. But there are funny parts of it. And one of them is, you know, uh, Maggie's pseudo-boyfriend shows up at the theater with another girl, but then when he sees that Maggie is there, he goes to kind of try to flirt with her, and when he comes back, some big guy has taken his seat next to the sleazy girl that he's there with, and (laughs) there's an interaction between them where the big guy stands up and knocks Mark out. Like, And it's, it's barely worth even mentioning, except for I want you all out there in the world to know that there are comedic uh, elements uh, of this movie too. <laughs> yeah, beyond a guy getting stabbed with a giant mosquito, well, yeah, there are other. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, you know, I was reading in viewer reviews, not you know professional critics, just everyday Joes, and uh, somebody said it, it's kind of amazing that a horror movie with few to no jump scares, no gore mm. really, and no boobies can be as entertaining as this movie is. <laughs> and and I agree. You know, it's it's really not gory. I mean, there's some imagery no, that's maybe, you know, a little strange, but there not a lot of blood, certainly no intense violence, no overt mm. sexual stuff going on here. Um but I I did find I was entertained throughout. I was not bored. I thought it was uh, a fun romp and and little things I, I my favorite well okay so during the shocker movie maggie is listening to her own tape recorder and the scary voice comes on and says your life has been a dream you are possessed and she's like ah. um but then <laughs> bud is uh bud is the guy in the wheelchair and i recognized him too and I thought oh again he must have been in a million things because he's so recognizable to me no just a couple of things that I remember he was in the curse did you ever see the curse with Will Wheaton from the 80s I haven't seen it but it's on my I think it's on our list (laughs) it's it's not good but I love it but he plays the older brother in that he's like shocking people and then Tina, who is the blonde kind of sex pot one, she's played by Freddie Simpson. Again, recognized her, looked her up. She uh, played Ellen Sue in League of Their Own, the pretty blonde one from A League oh. of Their Own. Anyway, uh, oh. she goes off and she's looking for Mr. Davis and she finds him. We, of course, know that it's really the killer in a Mr. Davis face mask. I also didn't quite understand this. Is he making latex masks, or is he, like, preserving their faces and wearing their faces? I think he's making latex masks. I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing, because he's pulling them on and off like like makeup, and he's got his own, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's that one scene. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing. All right, makes sense. Anyway, so she, like, flirts with him and starts making out with him, and, like, his... 
It it is it is latex because when they are making out, like I don't know if it sticks to her face or what, but mm. like she pulls away from him and like it, you know, it's stuck to her face and it's all stringy and sticky and he kills her. I don't know how, um, but then he holds her up like a puppet and he uses her to talk <laughs> to Maggie and Mark in the shadows. <laughs> you know, I thought that was really funny. It's funny. It is a little funny when you describe it. It's pretty disturbing when you see it. And it is like like you said. Uh, the movie doesn't have a lot of gore, but the scenes that we're describing actually do come across as a bit disturbing. Like, even her peeling his face mask kind of away is really pretty upsetting. And even the guy getting stabbed with a mosquito, and later on the mosquito comes in in what I thought was one of the more one of the more shocking scenes of the movie. Yeah, all of these things, they sound really silly, but without the gore even, it just strikes an interesting balance, I think. Yeah. You know? I mean, it kind of works. I, against all odds, it all really worked for me. Oh, I think it definitely works. I mean, it looks good. It's it's done well. It's it's shot well. It looks cool. And uh, I'm you, I'm not complaining at all. I I enjoyed it. You know, now that we're talking about it, this movie <laughs> owes a great debt to an earlier movie too, an earlier Vincent Price movie called The Abominable Doctor Fibes. Have you ever seen that? No, I know what it is. Oh but I've God, never seen we it. have to do it on here. Okay, the villain is very reminiscent of the Abominable Fives, but the other aspect of it that's so interesting is that the method in which they kill people are slightly comic, but also disturbing and also fitting to the plot and what's going on. This is so Fives, like there's just this dark comedy about it, and uh, the bit where they kill Bud is you know straight out of that as well. Here is Bud in a wheelchair sitting in the box off the box seats or whatever operating the shakurama console zapping people in their seats which by the way it's not like a simple buzzer it's not like a simple shock it's like mini explosions going off underneath these yeah. seats below it's it's really- and, like you can it's so much that you can see the electricity like there's sparks yeah it's, it's pretty <laughs> dramatic and, it, and that would actually be pretty awesome but as well as probably illegal yeah <laughs> but um yeah so anyway the killer comes up behind him and uh, straps him down and puts clamps on his uh, chair. He's turning his chair into an electric chair, which is quite clever. But then he slaps a tape recorder in front of him and hits play. It's freaking Saw, man. Charge out of this. Watch the panel. The lights will go on in the following order. Red, blue, green. Oh, what's that? Green, blue. Oh, I forget. But the important light is that yellow one. When it turns on, bud, so do you. It's Saw. It's even like the same voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He hits play on it and he says, Now you will be. And he basically runs down what's going to happen to him that as these lights on the console turn on, once it gets to this certain light, he's going to get fried. And so the he runs away and this, this guy, you know, Bud is struggling to like reach the something on the console to yank it out, but he doesn't get there in time. It's like a total saw setup. It, it is if, from the tape recorder and everything. I <laughs> and the scene was the scene was tense because you see these lights coming on, and you know that when the last one comes on, he's supposed to get electrocuted. Meanwhile, 
he's struggling with his hand, which is strapped down to his wheelchair. He's struggling with his hand to try to unplug the socket or whatever. And and he's so close. (laughs) And he's so close for so long. You're just like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. But he can't do it. And so when the guy on the screen gets electrocuted, he gets electrocuted too. And it probably wasn't a particularly expensive effect, um, but I I thought it looked good. I mean, this is such a drive-in movie you know Mm. i didn't even consciously do it but you forgive maybe some little things here because okay so maybe the electric maybe the electricity you know encasing his body didn't look particularly authentic but it looked fun like it was (laughs) a a cool looking effect and i i I don't know. Yeah. I just, I really enjoyed it. But right before he's electrocuted, I have to give a shout out to my favorite line. And I remember this from when I was a kid. We quoted this all the time. And it's just in the background. It's just the crowd riffing on the movie. But somebody in the movie says, kiss me, dick. And somebody in the audience goes, kiss your what? <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember us saying that all the time when we were kids. He's coming this way. Kiss me, dick. Kiss, kiss your me. what? Apropos of nothing but hilarious. Oh, well. And then Maggie goes to Toby and is like, oh, this is happening. You know, the bad guy's here. And he's like, oh, okay, well, we definitely should call the police. But first, we need to go downstairs and get the lights back on. Because when there was, you know, the electrocution or whatever, the the power went out. She's like, first, we have to go downstairs and get the lights back on. And so he takes her down oh, to yeah. the basement. But wait, but wait. While the power is out, the way that they're entertaining the crowds is they're bringing some <gasps> Jamaican band up on stage to play reggae? Yes. <laughs> There and we are, we missed it at the beginning. Like yeah. when the festival first started, there was just a random rap guy outside the theater too who did this like reggae rap, and it was pretty amazing. Apparently, they filmed this in Jamaica, so they must have used like local talent to come in and jump into this movie, which is always fun. <laughs> I loved it. I loved uh, the music in this movie. It's such a non sequitur, though. I mean, it's so out of it is. left field. <laughs> oh my gosh! But the crowd is so into it, and everybody's mm. dancing and having a great time. Again, wish I was there. But like, even in the the music montage in the beginning when they're setting up the theater, yeah, um, it's all set to that oldie. I don't know who originally did it, but Saturday Night at the Movies, and uh, it, it, I mean, it was just the perfect atmosphere for what was going on. The, and and then at the end of the movie, as was often the case in these '80s movies, there's uh, an original song that references, you know, the movie. And oh my gosh, it, I, it was yeah. good throughout. It's a real throwback. It's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, Toby takes Maggie downstairs where the lights are out and their flashlight goes out or something, and he disappears. And then for a split second, she sees Mister Davis like slide through a door and then she sees tina like i don't know just out of the corner of her eye or something the stench is playing upstairs like you said we don't get to see too much of this which is unfortunate but i love that gag like the smell vision gag where they pump in the odors through mm-hmm. fog through different things in the yeah. theater love it and then we get then here it is it's the big reveal all along dun 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 it's been toby yeah and the reasoning behind it is that his mother 
was a member of Lanyard Gates's cult, and they had been sitting in the front row of the Possessor when all of this went down. Gates did kill Maggie's mother on stage in front of everybody, but then Maggie's aunt, Suzanne, came in and rescued her, and somehow a candelabra got turned over and the whole place went up in flames. Toby's mother died in the fire, but he was saved, but he was severely burned over like 90% of his body. And so, and he's gone through his whole life, you know, being this monstrous thing that, you know, undergoing these terrible reconstructive surgeries. We see him in his true form. He also shows her, he gives her a demonstration of how he puts on the masks and he uses, again, just like Scream, like voice changing technology to change his voice and so he gives her a little show you know of the different masks and things but we see him in his natural form and he's all burned and i thought his makeup looked great and i thought that tom villard did an amazing job in this performance fantastic in this movie i mean he was compelling and and these scenes were kind of long and maybe even a little too long like there was a lot of exposition there was a lot of him running around throw i mean he throws on like five different faces and and it goes on forever but gosh darn it this guy is really good <laughs> yeah. and it was really fun to watch him get unhinged you know and kind of go nuts it's my scarecrow in oz face cute huh you're crazy what it's just dawned on you. That's great. And I'm the one who's crazy. <laughs> Can't say I've lost my sense of humor. Can you? You're right. This is where it really feels very Phantom of the Opera-like. And his makeup is good, and he's going crazy. You know, I feel really bad, because Tom Villard, he didn't live very long. He no. He died a few years after this, and apparently... You know, this is back in the late 80s, early 90s, when AIDS was was huge. Like, you had AIDS and you had a death sentence. And he confessed to the director, I guess, of this film on his first day of shooting that he had AIDS, which would have been uh, probably something that he was keeping hidden. Oh, yeah. uh, At that point. So it's really quite tragic. I I would love to. uh, This guy could have been the next Tom Hanks, you know? I mean. Oh, gosh. He was really talented. I mean, he was really big. You say Tom Hanks. I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, Jim Carrey. Like, huge. choices really bold choices and jim carrey kind of grates at my nerves sometimes i think that he's very talented but i can't deal with the whole ace ventura energy but this guy he makes those big bold choices and he really you know he seems unhinged Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, he plays it very well and also just enough sympathetic in ways even though he is the killer and the villain of the movie, he's kind of a tragic villain. Uh, He's kind of been a... He was a kid when this happened to him, and and it's something that he's had to live with. And and ultimately, you know, he's totally nutso, but what he says is, I want to recreate that night. I want to finish the movie, because if I finish the movie, then none of it happened and everything will be okay. Now, of course, obviously, that's not true. You know, that's entirely delusional. And she has the best, my favorite line in the movie. She looks at him and says, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and cut away. Oh my gosh, that was a brilliant moment. <laughs> it was great. It was great. But so anyway, so that's what he does. He puts on Possessor, which, you know, the audience is like, what is this crap? And they are back behind the screen. I love these scenes in movies where people are behind the projection screen in a movie mm. theater. It's just su- it's such a great backdrop you know for a scene yeah just when the movie ends which is when you know the fire would have happened or whatever again continuity wise it doesn't really make any sense i don't think the projection screen raises and there he is and he's got the whole set set up and he is gonna sacrifice sarah slash maggie and he plays to the audience like ha ha I was going to kill her, but do you really want me to, or do you want me to spare the poor virgin? And of course, then the audience goes wild. They're like, kill her, kill her. Yeah, they think it's just part of the show, you know? I mean, right. it's, it's so smart, right? He's going to kill this woman in front of them, and they're they're not going to even realize it. Right. Oh, and they're, they're, they're you into know, it. applauding. Well, and yeah, they're totally into it. Yeah, they're egging him on. And, you know, as a viewer, you watch this, and they're like, geez, how are they going to get out of this one because of that fact, you know? There's nobody's going to rush to stage and save her because because nobody thinks right. there's a problem. And, and they're just feeding on, he's just feeding on their energy, which is making him even worse and worse and worse. It's it's really it's really cool scene, I think. It is. And, and Tom Villard has great energy, and he really is playing the crowd, and he's big and over the top, and, and a good performer. I would have been excited. I would have been telling him to kill her. Yeah! <laughs> Stab her! <laughs> and, and he rolls out uh, Suzanne, like in a full body cast, with the gun pointed at him. Um, So, you know, Dee Wallace is just on stage with, you know, tape on her mouth. She doesn't have anything to do, but there she is. And Mark, the pseudo-boyfriend, saves the day. He's like up, I don't know, near the projection booth or something, and he takes off his belt and he uses it to zip line down the cords that the mosquito was on. And when he zip lines down, somehow he activates the mosquito and the mosquito impales the bad guy and then he like is swinging impaled oh. on the mosquito and the crowd is going nuts uh, no it's so <laughs> it's so disturbing <laughs> this was this is the most disturbing part of the movie for me and i mean it's just a movie but like yeah this this guy gets impaled and he's swinging on this thing and the crowd doesn't even know that this that this was a real murder they just watched. Everything about it is just really twisted, <laughs> mm-hmm. as well as funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's pretty much it. I mean, there's just a little, you know, end cap where they are all outside with police and ambulances and stuff. But um, ultimately, everybody's okay. Um, I, I hate that we never mentioned there's one character named Cheryl who's played by Kelly Jo Mentor, who I oh. just really like. She was in our very first episode, uh, People Under the Stairs. Yes. Um, she was in that movie. She was also in Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Uh, she's in this movie, and, and she's such a small character, but she's compelling every time she's on screen. She, and she gets an opportunity to kick a little bit of ass at one point. <laughs> she knocks out the big guy that had knocked out Mark uh, in a really funny scene. So I just wanted to throw her out there because I, I really enjoy her. But overall, I think this is a really fun movie. I just think it's super it really fun. It, it, it's not a masterpiece. It's not great. But even though it pays homage to a lot of other films, I think that it's unique in its own way. Um, it's well acted. 
you know, I, I think as far as cinematography goes, it's got some really good moments. I think in other moments it's, you know, just semi-average. But um, the story is fun. It's never – I don't know. You said you thought there were some parts that dragged a little bit. I really didn't. I didn't think that it was boring at all. I was into it. The villain was great and was, you know, played so well and looked good and, and the homage to all the, the movies of the 50s and 60s it just had so many things that were appealing to me that i just really enjoyed it and i would wholeheartedly recommend it to horror fans i just think it's 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 a really really fun movie yeah i did not expect to enjoy this movie as much as i did i really didn't especially because you know you don't hear anything about it right i no, mean people really. this is the kind of movie that really should be one of those little cult classics that people talk about a lot or or look back fondly and it just never got to that point right uh, I, it had doesn't even have a i guess it had a dvd release fairly recently i wish we had been able to acquire that copy of it because i'm sure it's it looks a lot better than what we ended up seeing what we ended up seeing had almost kind of a grindhouse quality to it i don't know if it was a vhs rip or what but <laughs> the whole movie itself looked again like a drive-in <laughs> mm, yeah. we were watching but no and and then to kind of uh hear all the interesting stories behind it it sounds like it's a miracle it was made so it's it's just kind mm-hmm. of a a nice fun little surprise package that i really enjoyed watching as well this week yeah me too i hope i'm not overselling it because again it, it's it's not amazing in terms of quality it's just really fun fun those of you out there i feel like we kind of failed you this week we didn't have as much behind the scenes stuff to talk about as we usually do uh, and that's disappointing so honestly if if you know any fun facts about this movie i am genuinely curious uh leave a message on our facebook page or or wherever you want to and uh let us know if you can give us any insight. Yeah, or if you could, like, uh, upload that featurette if you might have it on hand. <laughs> I don't want to, like, you know, encourage this sort of thing, but uh, <laughs> YouTube's a great resource. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Also on our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where you can peruse all of our back episodes. We're coming up uh, dangerously close to 200 here. So if you have some ideas of what we should do for our 200th episode or any episode coming up, we love getting your requests. Uh, Just uh, shoot us a message on either one of those channels, and we'll get it. We love hearing from you. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig with two guys and a chainsaw. Ah.